Is it okay to eat meat? Today on The Curious Task, I speak with Don Shahar. Welcome to The Curious Task from the Institute for Liberal Studies, where we explore economics, politics, philosophy, and other ideas from a classical liberal perspective. I'm Alex Aragoni, your host, and today I'm speaking with Don Shahar. Don is Assistant Professor of Philosophy Research at the University of New Orleans and a member of the Urban Entrepreneurship and Policy Institute. He is the winner of the International Society for Environmental Ethics 2020 Holmes Rolston Early Career Essay Prize for Environmental Philosophy and co-editor with David Schmitz of the latest edition of Environmental Ethics, What Really Matters, What Really Works. Dan also published a book titled Why It's Okay to Eat Meat, and that will inform most of our conversation today. Don, welcome to The Curious Task. Thank you so much for having me on. So Don, we base each of our episodes on our question and go wherever the answers and conversation takes us. Our question today is, is it okay to eat meat? And uh, your book title, which we would have already mentioned the intro, of course, gives away your ultimate answer to the question. So today we're going to have fun, I think, unpacking what's going on under the hood of your main arguments and how you arrive at, at this kind of conclusion. And I should say on the outset, and this is why I say all the time when we do books like this to our listeners, that we, of course, cannot cover everything in this chat. We're going to trace many points at a high level. Please go check out Don's book, everybody. We're not going to cover every little point in there. We're going to skim some things, if, if not uh, getting into just a little further than that. But before we jump right in, Don, I just want to say personal question. What made you interested in this argument? Did you try vegetarianism at one point? Or is it something not even that close to you? Is just something you are always interested in other people talking about? What brought you to this subject to the point where you actually want to write a book about it? So actually, as it turns out, uh, I didn't really set out to write this book in any, uh, in any appreciable way. What ended up happening was that I was emailed out of the blue by an editor at Routledge who had been having a conversation with um, a colleague of mine about a manuscript that he had received on, uh, you know, the ethical case for vegetarianism. And the editor, you know, had enjoyed the manuscript, was enthusiastic about it, um, but had, you know, sort of felt a, a bit of frustration that you know, this is a literature where most people, if not, you know, the overwhelming majority of people eat meat, um, think it's okay to eat meat. And yet, if you look at the literature on the ethics of the issue, it's almost entirely dominated by people who don't eat meat and think it isn't okay to eat meat. And so the editor was frustrated that, you know, nobody is willing to go to bat for this. And uh, my colleague who he was talking to you know, agreed that this was uh, a gap in the literature, something that would be valuable to see filled, but wasn't personally interested in writing the book. But he knew that I worked on uh, related issues having to do with personal responsibility in the face of large-scale collective action problems, particularly having to do with environmental issues like climate change. And as it turned out, you know, I had views about um, how those arguments that I've been developing in uh, in that other domain would apply to the issue of, of meat eating. Um, and, you know, I'd, I'd thought about it some, but I had never really worked on the issue in any, uh, in any meaningful way. But, you know, my colleague uh, 
I guess, saw fit to recommend that the editor contact me to ask if I would be interested in writing the book. And, you know, I guess uh, at the time I was a, a postdoc at UNC Chapel Hill and getting an offer to write a book on a topic that I was interested in um, from a, a pretty good press was, uh, was, was too, too good to pass up. And, uh, and so I took on the project. Uh, but yeah, definitely not something that, you know, I, I sort of had targeted in my mind that, you know, I'm going to write the book on this topic. Um, it was more one of those things where, you know, somebody pointed out to me that, you know, my side of this important debate had kind of wimped out on defending itself. Uh, and, you know, I, I guess I, I answered the call to, um, to, to try to fix that. Wow. That, that, thanks for that overview. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, I find it very interesting that, you know, it doesn't come packaged with the story. Like you said, this is something you thought about for years, that kind of thing, or, or whatever else. You sort of just set your sights on it through, through the circumstances you talked about. Have, have you, speak, you know, on that exact point, what kind of reception, I should, I should say, what do you think of the reception to the book so far? You know, because I'm sure you get people that might be like uh, passionate meat eaters on the one hand and, uh, and passionate vegetarians or whatever on the other. And kind of the way you just described the way you came to the subject suggests that, you know, it's, it's not as if you're coming from any of these angles and exploring it from there. So it must be interesting to you to watch those two kind of sides talk about the book or at least react to it, especially since you're like, hey, like, I'm just approaching this because it's something interesting to think about and explore. Yeah. So one thing that, you know, drives me, uh, throughout the book is, is really trying to do justice to these really important concerns that, that have been raised by the critics of meat eating. Um, and as a result of that orientation, you know, of, of sharing a lot of these concerns about, you know, cruelty to animals, the environmental impacts of, of meat production, um, I end up being pretty sympathetic to a lot of a lot of the concerns mm-hmm. that are raised, maybe not the conclusions that are drawn from those concerns. Um, but it ends up that when I talk to meat eaters about the issue, you know, oftentimes, you know, the meat eaters will be sort of shrugging, shrugging off the problems in a way that I don't so much sympathize with. Uh, and, you know, I end up sounding a, a bit closer to the vegetarians in practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, when you're talking to vegetarians who haven't read the book and, and they hear that I've written, uh, you know, a book that's literally just entitled Why It's Okay to Eat Meat, um, you know, there's, uh, on the one hand, I mean, I've, I've been very pleased that a lot of people have, have responded very positively to the fact that somebody was willing to, to write a respectful and, and thoughtful book defending this position. Um, but on the other hand, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, certainly do express consternation, uh, that I would, that I would write such a book. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, you know, I guess, uh, if you, if you write a book that's called why it's okay to eat meat, you kind of have to be ready for the whole gamut of, of reactions and, I guess I haven't been surprised, um, but I, I have been pleased that uh, a lot of people seem like they're you know, hungry to read a book like this and to think more more seriously about these issues. And so, 
so that's been that's been exciting about it for sure and on that exact note too like i i think um because you said it's interesting the reactions and, and and so on and so forth but you know to right in the intro you frame things and make a point by saying this and this is a quote this book only claims that meat so excuse me this book only claims that eating meat is morally okay and thus compatible with an ethical life close quote and then you go on to say but it isn't any indicator necessarily of virtue and i think that is a good point to make right off the bat because you know especially with the kind of books someone might pick up at a bookstore or something on with, with that kind of title people might think you're gonna launch into some raging moral stance about how you're great because you're a meat eater but as you said you know it's, it's it's not an indicator the other way either you're just saying it's compatible with so i thought that was a very interesting framing yeah, there is there is this kind of interesting strand in the literature where there are people who seem to think it's you know important to eat meat. Right. Um, there's something wrong with being a vegetarian, um, and you know I don't want to be too dismissive of those kinds of arguments. Um, you know, because the people who who have made them have have certainly thought hard about their positions and tried to give tried to give arguments for it, but. Um, I just personally find it bizarre, uh, <laughs> frankly, to, to, to think that, you know, there would be something wrong with looking at all of these problems that vegetarians are worried about and saying, you know, I'm just not going to be part of that anymore. Um, you know, that seems completely intelligible to me. Uh, it seems like, you know, there's a lot, a lot to be said on behalf of it. Um, I guess we'll probably talk about about this in, in different ways over the course of our conversation. But, you know, I mean, you know, you think about taking a stand against wrongdoing, you think about um, reducing your complicity in, in this important issue. You think about participating in a movement that, you know, has, has accomplished some really important things. Um, all of those things seem like pretty fine reasons to me to become vegetarian. Um, I don't think that they imply an obligation to become vegetarian, but it would, it would seem weird to me to, to try to argue that, you know, somebody who, who does become vegetarian in response to considerations like those is somehow doing something wrong. Right. And now I'd like to start treading a little bit more into the the book's core and the core arguments, but one more context setting question for that. Um, what you're arguing in the book is ultimately that it's okay to eat meat, of course, as the title says. But but you make a point at the beginning as well to say in what can be referred to as sort of the quote-unquote regular way. Can you explain the context of that and why you thought it was important to set that up? I mean, I sort of know the answer because I actually read that part of the book. But, you know, for our listeners, I want to make sure that um, this point gets across. Because I think it's key, right? Because people are on this sort of spectrum about where they meet and they like to place themselves at different parts. So this idea, hey, like as we move forward in our conversation, what do you mean as the regular way to eat meat? What should people think? think of in their head when we're talking today yeah so i mean the point of the book was in some sense to see what could be said on behalf of just the way that most people actually experience eating so you know not going to whole foods and you know only getting the fanciest of the fancy meat that's available but just going to the regular grocery store going to the regular meat section and buying the regular meat on the shelf, um, just like most people do, or, you know, going to a restaurant and, you know, not the fancy farm to table restaurant, but just the regular restaurant. And, you know, you see meat on the menu and you order it because it sounds good. Um, That is the way that most people engage with eating meat. And, you know, to the extent that there are examples 
in the kind of popular literature of people defending meat eating, it's remarkable how few of them actually engage with that kind of meat eating. Um, you've got all sorts of people saying, oh yeah, but you know, it's possible to justify meat eating, you know, if you go and, and hunt it yourself, right? Or if, uh, you know, you're only patronizing the most conscientious of small scale family farmers, you know, in your own community. Right. So you can come up with various different permutations of this, but defending eating meat, you know, as a kind of possibility proof where you're saying, yeah, like I'm going to show you that it's possible for somebody to justify eating meat. You know, that's not really what's at issue mm-hmm. in the debate. What's at issue is, you know, what almost everybody does, which is just go to the restaurant and order it because you want it um, or go to the grocery store and, and buy it because that's what you are interested in cooking that week. So that's, that's what I mean by eating meat in the regular way in the book. Great. And getting more into it now. So at the front part of the book, obviously, you do what what makes a lot of sense, which you you get into the cases made by those against eating meat, ultimately to start getting into really where they're coming from and maybe disassemble some or answers them. Ultimately, you divide the arguments against eating meat into two broad categories, wrong in practice and principle. Can you, can you first say why you did that and why you thought that was important and what you mean is exactly going on there? Yeah, so for me, when I think about what might be wrong with eating meat, a lot of the sort of intuitive pull comes from these issues having to do with the way that meat is typically produced, you know, in the world today, which is, you know, through large scale intensive, you know, people talk about uh, factory farming, they talk about industrial agriculture, um, you know, the, the way that, that large corporate meat producers are producing meat um, you know, it raises uh, a lot of, of humane concerns about the animals, raises environmental concerns, raises equity concerns with respect to how workers are being treated in the industry, health concerns about you know, pandemic risks. Um, so you can kind of go down the line with this litany of concerns. Um, and, you know, if you thought that those concerns justified an obligation to avoid consuming products that were produced that way, you know, that would rule out eating most meat. But as, you know, as I alluded to um, in my answer to your last question, um, you know, there are people who try to defend eating meat, you know, in kind of weird ways, right? You know, in particular, eating meat that isn't produced by those problematic uh, processes. And so if you're going to argue for eat, uh, for eating, you know, an all vegetarian or all vegan diet, you know, period, um, it's not really enough for you to, to just sort of point to the, you know, the, the horrible aspects of the meat industry, um, because there are ways to eat meat that, that don't, you know, don't ever make contact with that. And so there are other arguments um, for eating an all vegetarian diet uh, that, you know, say, no, it's, it's not factory farming. That's the problem. It's just eating animals as such. Um, And those are the the arguments that I call the wrong in principle arguments Um, that, you know, even if you raise the animals 
in a way that was humane and, you know, environmentally sustainable and, you know, you conducted your business in a completely equitable way uh, and so on, um, it would still be wrong to eat the meat. Um, and, you know, those are, those are different kinds of arguments. And of course, there's a lot going on in the book, as I said, on the outset of our conversation, if there was a way to, to, to sort of summarize or maybe identify one of, of the strongest arguments against eating meat from in, in principle, what would you highlight here today? Like I said, there's lots more in the book, but what, what either struck you as interesting or one that you think is, is one of the stronger ones to present and think about? Yeah, so I think one of the, one of the most powerful arguments for why it would be wrong to eat meat in principle um, at least in my mind, it's it's a wrong in principle argument. Um, the original version of it actually wasn't. Um, but you've got these kinds of arguments that that try to draw a uh, a sort of analogy between the way that we think about eating humans um, and the way that we think about eating animals, and to basically say, look, like you know, the, the way you think about eating humans, most people try to justify that in terms of sort of special cognitive characteristics that only humans have. And that's the thing that would differentiate, you know, eating humans from eating animals. Um, you know, things like our ability to live, you know, sophisticated, meaningful lives, um, our ability to engage in moral cooperation with one another. Um, those are things that sort of set people apart and they explain why you can't eat people. Even if you, you know, even if you raised a person, you know, humanely and sustainability, uh, sustainably and so on, um, you still couldn't eat them. Right. Um, you know, you certainly couldn't farm and eat them. Uh, and, and yet we seem willing to do that with animals. And so, you know, maybe that's because people are just special. And, you know, this line of argument basically says, well, but hold on, what exactly is it that you think makes people special? If it's the, these fancy cognitive capabilities, then you've got to confront the fact that there are humans who don't have those, those capabilities, right? I mean, there are some people who are born with really severe cognitive impairments that make it so that, you know, they will never be able to live a life that's, you know, particularly sophisticated, certainly not more sophisticated than um, some of the animals that we do eat. Um, you know, some humans will be born with impairments that make it so they'll never be able to engage in really sophisticated forms of moral cooperation, um, you know, or at least no more sophisticated again than, than some animals, right? I mean, pigs can cooperate pretty well, uh, you know, not as sophisticated kinds of cooperation as, as humans um, are capable of, but, you know, there, there's something there. Um, and so if you, if you think that, you know, it's wrong to eat all humans, regardless of their characteristics, then, you know, why wouldn't it be wrong to eat uh, to eat animals. Um, you know, if you think that there are, in other words, uh, if you think that it's just always wrong to eat human beings, um, even the ones that lack the, the fancy cognitive characteristics that set humans apart, um, then there's kind of a pressure on you to explain what it is that justifies that. 
that wouldn't also bring into the picture, you know, the animals that we think it is okay to eat. And so one thing I do in the book is, is to try to make plausible the idea that, you know, whatever it is that's going on with our attitudes toward eating humans, um, it really does seem to be something that is picking out uh, our shared, you know, membership in humanity. Um, and, you know, and isn't just tracking something, you know, that is shared by, you know, the most severely impaired humans and, and also uh, by animals. Um, and so a, a kind of thought experiment that I use in the book to try to get at this is to think about a scenario in which, uh, you know, imagine that, I mean, it's funny uh, during a pandemic to, uh, to be discussing uh, an example that I wrote about a pandemic that had nothing to do with, uh, with any of my personal experiences. But, you know, imagine that a pandemic disease comes and basically attacks humans' cognitive characteristics in such a way that it reduces uh, all humans to the cognitive capacity, let's say, of a cow. Right. And, you know, imagine that, uh, you know, humans don't go ex extinct. They just um, go on living like, you know, human cattle or whatever in, in the landscape. And then imagine that, you know, sometime in the future, uh, some aliens come to the earth and they, they, they find that the, the planet is, you know, full of, of various different kinds of animals and they kind of have the sensibilities of a normal, you know, meat eating person. They, you know, maybe they see certain animals that seem pretty smart, like chimpanzees and dolphins and elephants. They say, all right, no, those are too smart. You know, we're not going to eat those. Right. But the humans, like they're, they're, you know, they're cattle. That's fine. We can farm and eat them. Um, if you're a meat eater and you know, you think it's okay to eat meat, you think it's okay to raise animals for food, um, you know, provided let's say they're treated humanely and so on and so forth. Like there's some pressure on you, I think, to say that, you know, if the aliens decided to farm and eat humans, let's say humanely and sustainably and all the rest, right. like let's take the yeah, best case scenario, right? Like the best yeah. case. Yeah. Uh, there's pressure on you to say that that should be fine. Um, and I actually think that that is the right thing to say. Um, you know, it would be fine for, for the aliens to do that in that scenario. And so what's going on then? Why do I think it's okay for the aliens to do that? But I don't think it's okay for us to, you know, farm and eat our cognitively disabled relatives. Right. And the answer is that it's got to have something to do with our relationship to them. What the alien example brings out is that it's possible to come up with scenarios in which as a sort of consistent meat eater, you end up being willing to concede that, you know, actually uh, it is the special things about humans that, that ground uh, the duty not to eat us. If we didn't have those characteristics, maybe the duty wouldn't exist. Um, you know, maybe if aliens descended from the heavens and found a planet of human beings whose cognitive characteristics had been reduced to that of cattle, um, it would be okay for them to treat us the way that we treat uh, 
animals in our best moments, let's say. Because your, your your point there ultimately is, though, is for someone to be consistent in that argument of, of why they think it's okay to eat meat for some of the reasons you outlined. You're basically taking the human being and putting them in the exact same set of criteria or situation or whatever with the pandemic example, for instance. And, you're basic, and if I'm understanding you correctly, you're basically saying if that were to happen, then to be a consistent, like let's say cow eater, you'd have to be okay with, as you were saying, eating a human being perhaps, or the alien eating the human being, I should say, in that situation. And I, and I think that is a good point because it does push people to really think about why they think it's okay to eat meat versus um, what, let's say, a lot of or most human beings are right now. Because I think the flip side is that if aliens came down now and we were just, me and you sitting here having this conversation and the world was the same, people would say it would, pro- I, I think they would say it would not be okay for aliens to eat us. So that I think that's the key difference, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I think, I think that any meat eater sort of worth their salt is going to, going to say, yeah, you know, like you can't eat other people right like it's not just that like people like get to eat whatever they want and it doesn't matter um you know there's got to be limits on that um and so the question is not you know does morality say anything about what it's okay to eat the question is you know uh does morality you know is there something about morality that makes it wrong to to eat us and that could possibly you know explain why it would be wrong for us to eat our severely cognitively disabled relatives but that doesn't also imply that uh that it's also wrong to to eat meat right. and my suggestion is that uh you know when we think about examples in which you know you you really pull all of the special features of human beings out of the picture um it's not embarrassing anymore to accept that, you know, maybe human beings could be on the dinner table as well. Um, and you know, that would, uh, obviously be uncomfortable for us, but, um, you know, as far as the independent moral, uh, considerations at play go, uh, if you are a consistent, you know, meat eater, you should be willing to grant that, um, that it would be okay, uh, in those kinds of scenarios as well. No, I think I think that makes sense, right? Because you're ultimately making the point that it has nothing to do with the feature of the fact that you and I, for instance, have two arms and a head and eyes. And like, that's not really what we mean by, uh, is it okay to eat a human when we ask these questions, X and X circumstances? We mean a whole set of other things, as you said, of special features, which makes sense, which I think it do- does a good job of getting really to the root of the questions. So um, it's actually about the time where we'll take a quick break, but I'll say before we leave that point that I think what that really demonstrates, Don, is exactly as you said, that if you want to counter some of the folks or, or think what your own stance is about meeting eat on principle, you do have to go to these lengths. It can't just be about pointing fingers with, with cheap arguments against vegetarians, for example. You have to think of this way and be consistent. I absolutely agree. So we're going to take a quick break. Everyone, you're listening to Curious Task. I'm speaking with Don Shahar today. The Curious Task is a podcast from the Institute for Liberal Studies. Feel free to send questions, feedback, guest recommendations, or anything else that's on your mind to curioustask at liberalstudies.ca. As always, a huge thanks to our supporters on Patreon, including Danny Leroy, Elizabeth Aragona, and John Robson. 
Remember to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at The Curious Task, and rate us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to The Curious Task. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to The Curious Task. I'm going to speak with Don Shahar today. Don, I think that was a very interesting in, uh, first half of the conversation. I think it was great. I think it really put us in a couple places where people should really do some deeper thinking on when it comes to eating meat on principle, whether they are on principle for or against it, and where they have to go to really think on that. And actually, that connects nicely to how I'd like to start talking about sort of the in-practice side of the discussion, because really, and I think people should get this impression from our what we were discussing earlier, but you make the note, and I think it's very good that you do in the book, that, um, you know, a, a lot of the folks that tend to at first claim that they're against eating meat on principle, often, you know, one would find that really they really they should be appropriately categorized in the impractice area, right? Because by the time you start adjusting a bunch of criteria and saying, well, what if it's produced ethically? Or what if this, what if that, what if that? Your point is, uh, just to be clear, that if someone at some point gets to the point where they say, okay, then it would be okay to eat a cow or something, then they can't be sorted into the in-principle category, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, the the in-principle arguments really are needed to to yield the conclusion that no matter what you have to avoid meat Mm. um but i think you know showing somebody that you could theoretically eat meat is you know that's like one percent of the issue because you know 99 percent of the issue is that almost all of the meat that we actually encounter in the real world is raised in uh is produced in ways that should give us pause Um, and so, yeah, that's why I think, you know, in order to really show that it's okay to eat meat, you, you know, you need to, to deal with the practical aspect of the issue. Um, showing that it could be okay in principle is really only the beginning of the conversation. Right. And I should say, and like I said, no time to get too much into it here, but, um, like uh, Don in the book does a very good job of getting into the problems that that exist in the meat industry, for instance, like you're not going to find apologetics for like the way a certain industry runs or anything in here. And then him basically saying, and because everything's perfect, that's why it's okay to eat meat. So I just want to put that aside for a sec because we don't get into it too much now. But anyone listening, if, if you aren't going to read the book, know that that's, that's a huge part of it there. What I want to focus more on is, is a different part of that whole discussion, which is where you say, when it comes to these impractice arguments, at the end of the day anyway, quote, it's hard to draw a straight line from the existence of these problems to our obligations as consumers. In other words, why even if critics are right to oppose many of the industry's practices, that doesn't prove it's wrong, it being eating meat. So that that's very interesting because I want to get more into the idea of how you divide like someone being a consumer versus what's going on in an industry, because a lot of people do feel that if they purchase something or um, I actually want to be careful of my own words here. So let me phrase it like this. A lot of people do feel if they are purchasing something, let's say a steak, they are actually participating in something that, you know, they think is an immoral act or something like that. As you said, it's, it's really hard to draw clean dividing lines here, but what what are your what are your thoughts on that? Do you not think that's like coherent or or like how does someone navigate that sort of idea about if they're basically complicit in in what they might think is someone abusing a cow, for instance, if they're buying something? Yeah, so I I think that the the challenge isn't so much drawing a line between the wrongness of what the industry is up to and you know the idea that it would be wrong to 
to consume the products of that industry. It's more just that, you know, there are, there are actually a lot of different ways of drawing the line and, um, and, you know, they, they raise really different issues in practice. Um, and so, you know, if you think that what's going on is that when you purchase a, a given product, you're like making the, the, the problems worse, you know, you're making the industry's misconduct, you know, become amplified. Uh, that's going to be different from the idea that, you know, there's just something inherently wrong with, you know, being sort of complicit in, in a, a non-causal way, right? You just are somehow connected um, to this practice. And that, that in turn is different from thinking that, you know, you are symbolically aligning yourself in a certain way, you know, where, you know, when you eat a burger, let's say you're, you know, sort of giving a thumbs up to the meat industry. And when you don't eat the burger, you're giving a thumbs down, right? Like these are, these are all plausible ways that you could try to, to draw a line between saying, yeah, what the industry is doing is wrong. And so therefore, for this reason, I should change my behavior. Um, and the challenge, you know, argumentatively is that, you know, because those are all kind of different considerations, you need to respond to them very differently um, if you're going to try to defend the kind of position that I'm defending in the book. Right. And as I said, and, I, and as I keep saying, there's a lot in the book. You go through different arguments. It's, it's one of those books I like where there's always a main point and a lots of subheadings. So I, I wish I could get into everything, but I can't. I want to set aside what are ultimately the easiest in practice conversations because, you know, ultimately if someone says, um, you know, let's say someone says, I'm not against eating meat in principle, but in practice, as long as X, Y, and Z, A, B, C happens, I'm good. So if, if that's fulfilled and then they eat their meat, there, there's really no interesting discussion there as far as we're concerned today that makes sense. However, I want to drill into why you might think if it's produced in a way that people think something might be happening that they're they don't agree with or their or criteria is out of order or somebody in practice is saying you know what that's not good for me or this this you know check mark hasn't been checked as far as this ethical consideration or whatever why why would you still say if we set up a scenario like that it's still okay to eat meat then and that's what you're trying to tell that person well so i think again it gets back to the question of well why exactly wouldn't it be um, if you think that the problem is that when you eat meat, you're making the problem worse, um, then I think there's kind of a factual issue there. Um, as, as a matter of fact, I think, uh, there are, are pretty strong reasons to think that, you know, when an individual consumer goes to the supermarket and buys, um, you know, a package of ground beef, let's say, uh, that decision is, you know, exceedingly unlikely to change the, you know, the decisions that are made by large corporate meat producers about how to raise cattle, how many cattle to, to raise, um, and so on. Um, and to see that, um, I think it's, it's worth just kind of thinking about how a given supermarket, let's say, would make a decision about how much meat to order to, to stock its shelves. Um, you know, if, if you're a supermarket, you're not sort of 
taking orders and then going to the the meat producer and saying, all right, this is how much meat I need, right? You need to have your shelves stocked um, with a given lineup of products. And, you know, on any given day and in any given week, um, different people are going to come shopping. They're going to buy different things. And and you kind of have to be ready for for some variation in, uh, in what's going to get bought. And so, you know, if, if on one particular day, one particular person decides not to eat one particular product, that's kind of not, that's neither here nor there in terms of what you're then going to do next week when you put in your next order um, and prepare for, you know, the next group of shoppers to come in. Um, and likewise, you know, if you're a meat producer, uh, you know, you have lots of uh, of, of factors to, to account for in, in trying to set your targets as well. You know, you're not, again, you know, taking orders from all the supermarkets and, and then going and producing a certain amount of meat. If you are a large corporate meat producer, you're not taking orders from, you know, all the different supermarkets and then deciding how much meat to produce. Um, you are, you know, looking at projections of, of, demand for meat in the coming months, in the coming years, um, different price levels, uh, you know, thinking through, you know, well, what would happen if the price of meat went up? What, what would it, what would happen if it went down? And likewise, what would happen, you know, if feed prices went up and down, what would happen if the weather did this or that, what would happen, you know, if, if our competitors behaved this way or that way, and, you know, you, you try and make a, a projection of what's going to happen. You make a decision as a company about what you're going to do. Um, and, you know, realistically, even if a given consumer changed what a supermarket ordered by a small amount, right? You know, a corporate meat producer is just not likely to respond to that tiny change in a single order by, you know, updating its long-term projections or its long-term business planning. Uh, on the basis of that. And so, you know, if, if the thought is that you as a consumer are making things worse, um, you know, on the margin because of your behavior, well, that's just not really likely to be true. Mm. And so if you want to rescue this idea that it's wrong to eat meat, you've got to tell a different story. And there are lots of other stories that are available and that vegetarians do appeal to in in practice. Um, So, you know, it's certainly true that the vegetarian movement as a whole uh, makes a substantial difference, even if no individual vegetarian on the margin is, is materially changing things. Um, certainly true that, you know, vegetarians are, are sort of withdrawing their participation from, um, from a market that they, that they consider, you know, unattractive um, for moral reasons. Uh, it's certainly true that vegetarians are taking a stand. Um, and what I end up saying in the book is that, you know, a lot of these other stories that vegetarians can, can tell about, well, why should you still avoid meat, even if on the margin, your individual consumption is not going to make a difference. Um, a lot of those arguments end up running into uh, a similar problem, which is that you can make arguments of that same form um, in favor of engaging in lots of different kinds of actions to address lots of different kinds of problems in the world. And it's not that plausible that every person has an obligation to take every such action to address 
every important problem that there is. So if you think, for example, about the, you know, the argument that, well, look, vegetarianism as a movement makes a big difference. It's absolutely true. Um, vegetarians accomplish really important and uh, valuable things. And, um, you know, people who participate in that movement should be, you know, celebrated for that. Um, but, you know, there are lots of different ways that people, you know, aggregate their efforts to take action on really serious and important problems um, through, you know, changes in their lifestyles, uh, changes in their behavior, through, you know, different kinds of actions that they that they take and different kinds of burdens that they take on. And I think it's reasonable for, you know, all of us to say, you know, look, there's, there is a limit to what we are prepared to do to take action on the world's problems. Um, and, you know, being effective at, at making progress on the world's problems, um, you know, often goes better when we specialize and don't try to do, you know, something about everything. And so what that means is that, you know, it, if you're, if you are serious about, about joining a group of people trying to make a difference on important problems, um, you know, some people should and do become vegetarians. That's great. Um, but, uh, I don't think that it's wrong for people to decide that they're going to, to focus their efforts, uh, on other kinds of issues, um, and other forms of, of activism. And I think you can say something similar about, you know, withdrawing your participation from markets that you find problematic. I mean, right. that's certainly something that you can do to, to, to take action. Uh, there are lots of problematic markets uh, people can withdraw their participation from. Um, and, you know, it, it's not clear that that is the sort of uniquely necessary way that people would would try to respond to uh, to problematic markets is to withdraw participation from them. Um, and so, you know, again, you know, people who choose to, to exercise their voice in that particular way, they're, uh, they're doing something that's cool in a certain respect and should be celebrated. Um, but, you know, uh, again, I think it's, it's not distinctly required to, to engage in that activity. And I think, you know, you can kind of tell similar stories down the line where a lot of the arguments that are, are given for why in the face of individual inefficaciousness, um, inefficacy, uh, people, you know, should still become vegetarians. Um, a lot of those arguments identify perfectly legitimate and good reasons to become vegetarian. Um, but those same reasons can support uh, a variety of other actions as well. Um, and they don't sort of identify a, a distinct obligation to participate in this particular form of action uh, of, of avoiding meat. Right. And, and as we were saying before, you know, of course, we're still in the umbrella of this sort of in practice, practical discussion, I think, and you did touch on it. I just want to reemphasize that. I think what you said is there's very key. We could, it's important that people don't sort of slip their thinking into the difference between that, that individual discussion of why it's okay to eat meat versus, you know, this other discussion of what people do, as you said, to get together and put pressure on an industry to, you know, have better practices as they're producing meat or maybe stop it altogether, whatever. Those are, are as you said, two different things. When we talk about the practical whether someone's decision to be a vegetarian or, as you said, withdraw their participation from a market even is going to do anything, we can largely say that the answer is actually no. So the flip side is that 
is ultimately they're not making it worse or better either way, ultimately, right? I mean, they're they're helping to, you know, to drive a, a broader movement that um that is accomplishing important things, you know, and and I think that this is just one of the sort of paradoxical things about activism is that, you know, there are like millions of vegetarians. Um, no one vegetarian makes a difference that, you know, anybody could really detect to, you know, the bottom line of, of what's going on in the meat industry. And yet, it's true that the vegetarian movement is accomplishing really important things and it would, and it only stands to accomplish those things because people participate in it. Right. And so, you know, uh, it's, it's laudable, um, for people to, you know, decide to sort of put their chips behind that movement. Um, and to become one of those participants who, who is helping to, to sustain, you know, these outcomes. Um, but, you know, it's, it's also laudable for people to, to put their chips elsewhere. Um, and I think, you know, the, the big point of disagreement, I think, between me and vegetarians is that vegetarians tend to think that it's wrong not to be a vegetarian. Right. And, my claim is that, you know, no, like it's, it's okay not to be a vegetarian. Um, but what makes it okay is, is, you know, that you really are, you know, choosing something else to do. Right. You know, so, so if somebody looks out at the world, sees that there are all these different problems, including the problems in the meat industry. And, you know, they say, well, you know, I don't have an obligation to take any particular action. So then therefore they do nothing, right? That's not okay. Um, but, you know, vegetarians are, are taking the position in this debate that there's a specific line, you know, of activism that people have an obligation to engage in. And my claim is just that, you know, the options are, are more open than that. Right. In other words, you contribute to some of the same ends, but through different means. And I and I think, you know, the flip side of that's also true, too. And this is, as you zoned in on this point, I'm glad you did, because I had it noted down to get to it, which is that ultimately, you know, if you're one, as as you're sort of saying there, that like chooses to be a vegetarian, let's say they don't purchase meat anymore, but then they don't do anything else and don't really care much further. They're not therefore contributing to anything uh, just as much as someone who decides to keep eating meat and doesn't decide to contribute anything further isn't contributing anything further either, right? So I think, as you said, I, I really like this idea that there's other options beyond vegetarianism. And when I say vegetarianism, I, I more mean that sense of like the broader context of it and, and what you stand for and so on and so forth, rather than just whether you're putting bacon in your mouth kind of thing. Um, and, and I think that's a really good point is that you can contribute to these broader discussions, broader impacts in many different ways. And uh, taking your vegetarianism to that level isn't the only way to do it. Yeah. I mean, and, and I think, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to specifically even be about, you know, this particular set of problems. Right. So, you know, I came at this issue 
originally from you know the the literature of climate change activism and i think you know something similar is going on in that domain as well right so i think if you pay attention to your standard environmental activist rhetoric there's a pretty strong claim that you know individuals have a, a specific moral obligation to take action to reduce their carbon footprint to you know to re- shrink their impacts on the climate um and you know that's just part of what it means to be a good person uh and i think that a lot of the same kinds of considerations apply there too right as an individual the the difference to you know the morally important climate outcomes that come from your individual emissions are just you know they're vanishing they're vanishingly small Mm -hmm. uh and so you know the the change that you are making to the climate by restricting or not restricting your carbon footprint you know that's not what's at issue um there are lots of things to be said on behalf of restricting your carbon footprint but i think it's perfectly intelligible and legitimate for somebody to say look like you know i'm going to i'm i'm just not focused on that particular issue right i mean you think about all of the different causes that are out there that people uh participate in um you know tackling issues of global poverty tackling issues of racial justice tackling issues of climate change and you know animal cruelty right i mean these are all uh serious issues that um you know i mean it's not that they're completely unconnected right so you know tackling factory farming is in a way you know a, a way to take action on climate change it's a way to take action on uh you know animal cruelty it's a way to take action on public health issues and so on and so forth um so it's not that you know you you're kind of choosing one thing and and therefore you don't touch on anything else but um but nevertheless it's true that you know somebody who wants to really specialize and focus on you know climate change advocacy um is going to you know have to to take a different path than somebody who you know is really focused on animal cruelty um and likewise someone who's focused on you know global poverty or immigration or you know police reform i mean these are things that if you really want to be serious about them um you know they take they take focus and they come with burdens and it seems like people need to make choices about which burdens they take on which causes they you know they really want to to focus those burdens on on advancing um and it just doesn't seem true to me that uh that everybody you know needs to take on the specific burden of reducing their carbon footprint or the specific burden of changing their diet um to you know to avoid uh meat products objectionable though the meat industry's practices uh may be um it that is one particular way of taking on a certain kind of of burden in order to advance a certain set of of uh objectives and it just doesn't seem true to me that everybody is morally obligated to do specifically that makes a lot of sense and with that i think i'm going to move us on to our formal wrap up here uh, don let me say we, we've talked about a lot um, in each episode, I want to make sure that the guest ultimately has the last word to put a finer point on everything and bring us full circle. I think you're summarizing a lot of great points there. 
and uh and it was bringing our conversation naturally here anyway so let me ask you what is ultimately the sort of official last question what do you hope are the main takeaways for someone listening to here on why it's okay to eat meat in other words we've we've talked about so much but and we've covered a lot of ground but if you want people to come away from here taking one or two or just a few things away if anything what would that be I think the bottom line comes down to thinking about the kind of difference you want to make in the world uh, and the kind of difference you are making. A lot of meat eaters, you know, are not engaged with uh, the many problems that we face as a community. Um, a lot of vegetarians uh, are only narrowly engaged with, uh, with those problems, you know, in, in this specific way of changing their diet. Um, and I think that, you know, if we think seriously about, you know, all of the problems that there are out there, uh, if we are morally serious, then we will feel pulled to do something about that. And I think vegetarianism is one way to do something about that. And I think it's great that there are vegetarians who, um, who are willing to, to participate in that effort. But I think, you know, if there's something that I hope people will walk away from the book prepared to do, it's just to ask themselves, how do they want to fit into that? And I would be thrilled if a lot of people read the book and said, you know, actually, uh, I, I maybe agree that it's okay to eat me, but I'm not going to do it. Um, I'm going to participate in the vegetarian movement anyway, because I think that's a really great cause. And I would also be really happy if a lot of people read the book and said, yeah, you know, that's not the cause for me. Um, I'm going to, you know, decide to, to take on some other kind of action, um, to try to help make the world a better place in a slightly different way. Um, and honestly, uh, you know, I, I have no particular horse in that race and in, 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 in terms of what people decide to do. But I just really hope that that what people will walk away from the book um, prepared to do is is to re-examine how they fit into the ecosystem of of making the world better and, and dealing with all of these these really serious problems that we face, including the really serious problems of our meat industry. I think that's an excellent place to leave it. Uh, if people don't get the impression from that, they certainly will from the book that the point of the book is certainly not just 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 go enjoy your burger. There's a lot more going on there. So uh, thank you very much, uh, Don Shaharth, for uh, joining me today. I, I think the conversation was great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for having me. The Curious Task is a podcast from the Institute for Liberal Studies. This episode was produced by Alex Aragona, Sabine Elchidiak, and Eric Segain. Our executive producer is Matt Bufton. The music you hear on the podcast is by Lindy Voppenfjord. You should check out his other stuff online. The Curious Task exists today because of donations of time and money from those creating it and listeners like yourself. Check us out on Patreon and find out how you can support us and get access to exclusive offers. I'm Alex Aragona, and thank you very much for joining us on The Curious Task. Bye-bye.